0: and welcome to this next episode of the global growth uh, leaders podcast series my name is simon haig and i'm joined by henry wang this is the fifth episode henry and uh we're both really looking forward to this one it's great to great to be here with you again
1: yes thank you simon it's great to be here and it is great to be here with gillian and with peter And uh, overcoming COVID has incurred unprecedented human and economic costs globally. Unlike prior economic crises, which were normally caused by financial bubbles or monetary policies, the current crisis is a global health pandemic with serious economic impact and supply chain failures. experts have warned that this isn't just a temporary wake-up, but it's a serious wake-up call for something more serious. However, there are many calls for fast recovery and return to business as usual with quick fixes. However, there are also many strong drives from global leaders with longer-term visions to build back better with sustainable improvement. A good example is the recent call by G20, B20, United Nations and the World Economic Forum on building back better post-COVID with international collaborations. Thanks, Henry.
0: So geopolitically, this crisis has, from a medical research perspective at least, underlined the huge value of global collaboration. We're witnessing the development and adaptation of life-saving technologies and massive research into treatments. We're experiencing perhaps not seen before, at least since the AIDS crisis of the eighties, sharing of scientific journals, genome sequencing data and clinical trials, bringing together thousands of scientists, medics, companies and researchers together globally to facilitate greater international collaboration and understanding. Henry and I are both conducting a series of podcasts with distinguished international thought leaders from both the East and the West. These thought leaders are discussing key topical issues including healthcare, youth, innovation, climate, leadership, culture, and in this episode, uh, media and the arts. We hope that these open exchanges of views with international thought leaders from the West and the East should help foster greater international understanding and collaboration. We're delighted that all episodes will be featured on all leading podcast channels, YouTube, social media, and more.
1: Thank you, Simon, and uh, welcome again, uh, Julian and Peter. It's a great honour for us to have you both uh, joining us in this podcast. Well, Gillian, it's it's wonderful that you can join us from your very busy schedule being the provost of the Hong Kong Academy of Performing Art, which is a very famous institution in Hong Kong and in Asia and globally. Can you give us an overview of your impressive career and what are your main activities?
2: Oh, well, Well, my career is actually, I started as a theater designer actually, and also film design as well. Um, so I used to be a freelance artist before I joined the academy and that was 23 years ago. And uh, my intention originally was staying for a few years but somehow, you know, I got stuck. You know, I'm still there. and <laughs> I'm the provost now and um, so, it, it's, been, it's been great, you know, um, uh, getting involved with performing arts, you know, uh, it's, uh, it's a passion of mine and it will always be. And uh, of course, now it's about running the academic programs of the academy. And uh, I don't really have time to design, unfortunately. I mean, I do have the itch from time to time, but uh, I always say when I retire one day, maybe I'll go back to it. Um, so basically, you know, uh, what I do now is, of course, you know, looking after all the academic affairs of the academy and uh, and uh, the running of it. And uh, uh, so, you know, it's a, a very busy place. Uh, uh, the Academy uh, of, uh, for Performing Arts in Hong Kong actually has six schools. We have dance, drama, music, film, te- film and television. Uh, um, theatre and entertainment arts, which is uh, basically production, um, and, uh, and Chinese opera, Cantonese opera, actually. So we basically uh, have everything, you know, everything you can, under the sun, you can think of, which is uh, performing arts, and, and, and we, we teach. Um, and uh, we run post-secondary programs, we have degree programs at BFA, actually, and BMUS and also a master's program, uh, via, uh, MFA and MUS. So we're a busy place, we're busy bees at the moment.
1: <laughs> wow, that's really impressive. And, and it's wonderful that you can do something that you are really committed to as well. And, and how has COVID affected performing art in, in Hong Kong and Asia? And how, how do you see their recovery post COVID?
2: Well, it's, 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 it's actually uh, it affected us a, a lot. Um, um, certainly as a school, it's like any school, you know, we uh, back in February, March, you know, we have a make, to make a decision to um, think of how we put everything online. And of course with performing arts is quite difficult. You know, there are things that, that can go online and there are other things which are, you know, basically the, 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 the practice elements which uh, which which uh, can be very very difficult and and when it comes to um, you know stage productions of course you can't you have to get together you've got to be on stage you've got to rehearse and if you're an actor you've got to be on stage you can't do that online you know um, at home you know by yourself so so the so the academic side of it, has been quite difficult for us. So we've been going online, trying to go face to face, going online, face to so, face. So whenever you know, we react to the government uh, regulations, you know, um, when another wave comes along, then of course we have to shut down again. So it's been like that for the past, uh, well, since, since, since March, really. Um, But of course, if you look at the industry itself, um, you know, it's it's devastating um, because basically all the venues had to close for a very long time. And when the venues close, it means that particularly the freelance artists have been suffering terribly because, you know, with freelance artists, you know, if if a show cancels, um, you just don't get paid and that's, that's how it is. So a lot of young people particularly um, are really um, suffering. I mean, I've I, I've heard stories of how they basically have to make ends meet and they will, they have to, you know, somebody told me, um, I think it was yesterday, that uh, one of our, our, our you know, um, one of the uh, artists uh, actually had to get a job cleaning buses, basically, you know, and things like that, you know, just to make ends meet, just to have a meal a day, basically. And um, there's no end to it. And of course, now, you know, we are in Hong Kong, we are coming back a little bit. Uh, the venues are open for the time being, but it's with uh, 50% capacity. So at least some of the companies, they can recover a little bit. But um, but we don't know when it might shut down again. So it's, uh, it's, it's not not a good picture for, for everyone, you know.
1: No, thank you very much, Jillian, for sharing that. And that, that really is a very, very concerning picture. And we all hope that uh, COVID, we can recover from COVID quickly. Looking ahead, how do you see the, the performing art institutions in Asia? seizing the initiative for change through international collaborations
2: well i think i think uh, with everything i i always believe that you know challenges comes you know come with opportunities so I think uh, while back in February and March, we, you know, many of us didn't think that we could even go online. You know, how do you do Zoom? You know, how do you how do you get through the day? You know, and it's so difficult. And some people could hardly, you know, switch on their computer, and suddenly, you know, they have to teach online or, or something. And um, and it's not it's it hasn't been easy, but. But now, you know, months later, everybody, are, you know, everybody is an expert. You know, we're doing this every day, and nobody, you know, you know, think that you know there's any problem with it anymore. So, so, so then we're thinking, you know, we have conferences, we have congress, you know, here and then. Suddenly, nobody has to travel anymore because you can't travel. Mm-hmm. So, so in fact, it saves time, it saves money. And it's better for the environment that we're not flying around you know 10 times a year or 100 times a year for some people so so in a way you know there is something positive that came out of it and uh, and of course it means that we are better linked as well um you know i wouldn't have met simon i would have met peter for instance if it wasn't for right. for doing this and uh last year you would have. Perhaps invited us to wherever you are, and we have to think of getting away from our work, you know, and finding schedules and everything. But now, you know, we could sit at home and we can do this and have a very good conversation. So I think there is something positive, and it means our lives are changing. It is the new normal, and the new normal can be exciting too. And we see in the performing arts, uh, uh, certainly. Um, uh, you know, their shows, of course, they were free at the beginning, everybody was actually um, uploading uh, free performances, opera, ballet, what, what have you, but now, of course, it becomes another way of, of, of selling tickets um, online, you know, so, so that will be a new way of, of presenting uh, work as well in the future um not it doesn't mean that the physical shows won't happen, but I think it means that maybe we we are actually approaching uh, a, a new audience a completely new um target audience which is which are the the online audience um as well as the physical audience so there's something good that might come out of this and and i'm I'm just hoping I, I'm right. <laughs>
1: Wow, that's two, that's some very insightful points. And I, I agree with you. There are something positive that has <laughs> come out of this. And that, that's very, very interesting. Thank you, uh, Thank you, thank you, Gillian.
0: And, uh, you know, talking about the future and change, I'm delighted to introduce my guest to it, uh, Peter Chatty. Peter, how are you? It's good to see you.
3: Good to see you too, Simon.
0: And uh, so Peter is an entertainment entertainment media tech advisor, deal maker, a board member, futurist, and founder and chairman of Los Angeles-based Creative Media and Creative University. So Peter, in a nutshell, can you give us a, an overview of you and your career and what you focus
3: on today? Yeah, absolutely. So first of all, Jillian, Hong Kong is one of my favorite cities. And when you think about what we're all experiencing now, that's such a shame that we cannot travel and experience others. And obviously that influences everything that we're talking about too. But before I get into my career, one thing that I completely agree with uh, on what you said and on an opportunity, which is the online interestingly may give a wider audience a taste of certain areas of entertainment that they may not otherwise appreciate. And that may also drive them in to the venues themselves. So uh, offline at the moments when they finally can get out into the world. So I think there is definitely that opportunity. So anyhow, uh, but I think that's you know, what, what everybody's experiencing fully get it. So my career, I've spent about 30 years in the media and entertainment and tech world, a split quite equally between traditional media where I was I started off as an entertainment lawyer don't hold that against me. Um, so I I worked with movie clients, uh, music clients. Then I I transitioned into the major studios. So I was with Universal Studios for a number of years, and actually did a lot of work in Asia for a number of years when I was at Universal. So I would travel back and forth to Japan, and we set up and negotiated the Universal Studios Japan project in Osaka. And then I spent a fair amount of time in Beijing, Singapore, scouting different areas. So I spent a lot of time doing business there when we could travel. Uh, and then after a number of years, then I moved into the internet-driven, tech-driven world of media tech. And I was fortunate to build and, and grow and then ultimately sell some nice exit with a great team of people for a couple different media tech companies that were on the bleeding edge. So one was sp- essentially, Spotify before Spotify. We were amongst the first that negotiated streaming licenses when nobody believed that streaming would be anything. And then after selling that company to Yahoo, then I was CEO of a company called SiteSpeed, which interestingly did this, what we're doing with Zoom. It was video chat when nobody believed in video chat back in 2005, six, seven, and eight, before FaceTime, before Skype video, we believed we ultimately sold the company to Logitech, had a nice exit there. But maybe we should have held on longer. But okay. and then um, and then after that, after doing that, I ran another company in the video space, and I was then I transitioned after doing that um, because I'm I'm always interested in trying new things. I became more of a deal maker, board me- member, um, entrepreneur, connector and then just involved in a number of different projects. So getting to what I do today, I would say creative media, which is really my platform for doing a number of things that is supported by a small team. I I have three segments. One segment is essentially my thought leadership, my writing, I've written several books. I continuously write for like, you know, Billboard, Forbes, um, Variety Magazine, TechCrunch. I try to write about where the world of media and entertainment is going. So not just the problems, but solutions. That's what I try to do. And then, you know, you mentioned one thing, Simon, Creative University, it's a pure give back that I just started with my wife and actually kids, cause I have a college student who's in home doing college from her bedroom. Um, and she's in the, she wants to get in the media business. My son's in high school and my, we started something that's a pure give back to students who are passionate about the media and entertainment space to bring them speakers like you, great speakers, but also immediate virtual mentorships. So that's like one segment. A, se- a second segment of what I do is I work with a small handful of companies who I believe are doing amazing things in innovation in, in the media tech world. And I'm a board member or an advisory board member. And then the third part of my, uh, of my business, Simon, is that I'm a deal maker. So I'm actively involved in a lot of m and right now, that's acquisitions and particularly in the music world of intellectual property. So buying and selling of publishing rights, master use rights, which are a great solution for musicians right now who are in need of cash, but it's a, I'll talk more about it. I don't wanna talk more about it right now so we can get into other topics, but it's a fascinating space. And I was involved in facilitating the transactions with the, the rock group, Boston. The Band Air Supply, Count Basie, Devo, and Prince. So that's a little bit of my background.
0: Wow, that's that's incredibly impressive.
3: <laughs> and uh, so you,
0: just looking to the future and also linking the West and the East, how do you see the East and the West working better to collaborate in helping the world relate media-wise using new technology platforms? And are you involved in any particular projects in that space or, or, or any other sort of related future looking projects?
3: Well, yeah, I mean, I think the first thing is that just collaboration itself, and it's so critical for people from, um, you know, every industry, every walk of life to just spend time together, to understand each other's cultures and understand and appreciate the differences in those cultures. And that is something, you know, candidly the United States is not very good at doing it's, um, it's pretty amazing to me that as I spend time in, and throughout my career, and I, I'm, I'm Hungarian, 100% Hungarian, I'm an immigrant. Um, I, I think I appreciate diversity. That, that's part of my DNA. My mm-hmm. wife is from Italy. She was born in Italy, raised in Italy. So we travel extensively. And I think that getting out of our territories is so important. So I think that's part of it. And even doing this, like the virtual think tanks, because we learn from each other. So I think that's an important piece of it. Um, Certainly in terms of, if you're talking about global collaboration in the media and entertainment space, and uh, I won't focus as much on directly what I'm involved in, but areas where I think are really important. I certainly think that um, overall, uh, like security, just security in terms of uh, privacy data, um, making sure that, we work as a as a global you know, in some sort of global forums to address these kind of security concerns that that really impact all of us especially in social media i would say and i think another part of it getting to the security issue is you know hacking it's almost like having an interpol for the internet you know something where you have a global organization that works together creates standards and helps identify when there's terrible things going on in the hacking side that cause real global issues. You know, we're in the midst of, uh, we're nearing the end of a fundamentally critical election here in the United States. Mm -hmm. And as we speak, we have so much that's coming in that's from outside countries, as well as inside, by the way, but outside Mm -hmm. countries that are trying to influence and corrupt the election. And there must be better ways to be able to secure everybody's, um, you know, everybody's uh, just the truth, you know, getting to the truth. And that is such a fundamentally uh, uh, obvious point but such a, such a difficult one, especially as we have the spread of so social media. Look, social media is such a double-edged sword and I'm, I'm best known as for being a digital media guy, but I'm, I gotta say that just addressing and regulating social media is such a fundamentally important thing. And I believe there's so much negative that comes with social media as well as positive. In fact, as I see it with my own kids, not just the obvious things of all this pressure that they see with their fellow kids, you know, uh, you know f- friends and others who are out there having the perfect lives, that's difficult enough. But when you have disinformation that's being used and openly used and the social media platforms know that that's the case, much more regulation has to come into play. And so I think those, Simon, when you talk about global cooperation, global standards for security, global... And, and one final thing I'll, I'll mention that from a global collaboration standpoint, and this gets to these big gatekeepers of our lives now, like the Googles, like the Facebooks, uh, that where we see finally some antitrust activity happening in the United States. And I'm all for free enterprise. I am very much for free enterprise. But at the same time, there's too much power being wielded. There's too much control. And that's impacting all the kinds of issues I'm talking about. So I think global Cooperation and discussion and experimentation in terms of how best to regulate these industry behemoths.
0: Oh, and I I, I agree with all of that. And it's interesting, you know, I I do a bit of work in brand valuation, and, um, you know, President Xi Jinping has actually done an exemplary job of, you know, um, bringing the European ISO standards around brand valuation, and America is now kind of following the Chinese lead, you know, which sound, if you'd said that 10 years ago, people would have laughed at you, but but, but the lead is really being taken, has been from, you know, from the Chinese, from a brand valuation perspective. So it truly is, I, I, there's no reason why the world can't act more globally like that, you know, so thanks very much, Peter. That was great.
1: No, absolutely. Oh, thanks, Sarah, Peter. And let's come to Julian. What, what are your top two to three priorities for, for performing art-led changes going forward? Because that, that should be a lot of changes after recovery from COVID.
2: Well, I think I think uh, after the recovery, like what I was saying before, that of, obviously we hope that things will go back to normal, but we don't really know what normal is anymore and, and how long will that take to go back to normal. And um, I think people will, will be much more cautious, of course, of, of what might be happening again. Um, but uh, like I said before, you know, I don't think the online sort of performance uh, opportunities would go away. I think people would see, that, you know, would see that that's that's one way to actually reach a wider audience, um, and 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 being able to. Um, um, perhaps, you know, uh, uh, give uh, whatever message they have in, in, you know, uh, um, I think performing arts itself, of course, we know what it is. Uh, It's not just, you know, producing somebody else's play, We, we see a lot of new work, and a lot of new work right now is about COVID, about what's happening with people. Um, and, um, and I hope that it's bringing people together as well. It's, 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 it's about humanity, is about our environment. Uh, how are we gonna cope with it? How are we gonna live together? And that that in a way is bringing people together to think together and to, to, to actually come up with um interesting artwork that 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 touches people's lives much more than maybe when we were very content with being in a in a in a you know a comfortable environment of Hong Kong, you know, uh, when the economy was was flourishing and and we didn't have th- anything to think about. But now there's a lot that we are thinking about. That we are sitting at home and we are thinking. We we have nothing better to do but to think. In a way, you know, uh, when we were trapped when in, in in the height of the COVID, but of course now that we are coming back. Um, a little bit in Hong Kong and being a little bit more relaxed is not exactly relaxed, but at least we're coming back to some sense of life. Um, then you would not just forget about uh, you know what's happened before. You would actually take that as an experience, and hopefully, when it comes to performing arts or art in, in general, arts in general, that we're taking all that experience and we're generating something that is meaningful, much more meaningful, um, that uh, that 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 we 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 might have thought about, you know, before. And uh, I, I really think that uh, this this should it should be bringing us closer together, whether it's East or West and basically globally, that uh, hopefully um, something like this should be actually bringing us us closer, you know, to, you know, with a common enemy, which is COVID. Um, but of course, in, in, in well, certain countries, we know what's happening now. It's not exactly going in that direction, um, but the hope is there, I think, and the opportunities are there.
1: Yeah. That's a very interesting way and, and a very inspirational way to to look at COVID and the
2: opportunity
1: that, that it creates. Thanks, Jim. I agree. So, so back to you, Peter. What, what would you say
0: would be the top, top couple of priorities or should be the top couple of priorities globally to ensure the survival and continuing development of the media industry post-COVID? It's a big question. <laughs>
3: Oh, but it's um well first of all i like uh, vehemently agree with what jillian was saying um where it is so critical well first of all it's critical for for the east or for the west to learn from the east and what has and vice versa what has worked to be to control this insidious invisible enemy and and again, candidly, in this country, we are seeing the opposite, we are seeing growth and it's because we have not learned and the leadership unfortunately is where it is. And so it's critical for us to learn and see what's going on, but I, I vehemently agree that, that it, there's so, uh, in the out of home entertainment market, it's been decimated. That's been in the music space, movie theaters, theater, as Jillian was saying, Broadway, everything. And so the you know the first job one is to get safety, safety and peace of mind and real safety so that we can open up our venues because our venues are not opening up. Understandably, they're not opening up because the, the spread is getting worse, not better because we have not learned our lesson and people aren't taking it seriously and the culture is just different here. Uh, so that's critical. Um, and then I would say the second most important thing is governmental assistance to the media and entertainment space because let's face it, things are very politically charged here right now. And so the priorities are led by support for a party. That's the reality. And because the media and entertainment world here, at least in the United States, is known as being associated primarily with one party, the assistance is not going to the media and entertainment world. And so you see the music world is decimated musicians, cannot perform and that and and performing in venues is how they 90% of them earn their living and without that they're you know they have nothing. Venue operators and promoters, they're completely shut down. And so independent venues around this country, many of them are not opening ever again, but no assistance is getting there. So I don't see that space of venues opening up in the United States anytime soon. In fact, it's The insiders tell me that large concerts, events like that, aren't going to be at the earliest fall of next year of 2021, if not spring of 2022. So governmental assistance is absolutely necessary to to save some of these industries and especially the independent players in the industry. And and, um, that goes across the board for Broadway, as well as musicians, of course, the movie theaters, um, the, especially the independent movie theaters, the sports industry, we're seeing that, of course, too. So, you know, those are the top two, I would say. And then the third is what's something I've already mentioned, which is antitrust and, and, and security and, and, the, so, and, you know, that kind of regulation.
0: Okay. No, that's a great answer. Thank, thanks, Peter.
1: Yeah, thanks, Peter. And, and coming to Julian to for her final question. How do you see performing art organizations in the East and West collaborating better globally?
2: Well, that's a a good question. Um, I think uh, we're always thinking of how, you know, we're we're always looking at interdisciplinarity, you know, um, how sort of um, different even types of entertainment can come together. Um, but um, uh, at the moment, of course, you know, uh, we have experienced, uh, uh, even our students, even some of our alumni, or, or, or those who are really not working in Hong Kong performing artists, uh, they were able to connect with, for instance, uh, we, I know of a group that actually connected in, with, with a New York group, for instance, and they actually, Uh, rehearsed a play online and they actually played somehow, you know, they're able Mm -hmm. to perform together online. Um, Everybody is in their own home somehow, but it actually worked quite well. And we've seen a lot of these uh, um, um, online performances of musicians, uh, orchestras, you know, uh, playing different parts but each part is, you know, each uh, uh, instrument is actually Uh, uh, you know, um, uh, each player is actually playing from home, but somehow they're able to play together online as an orchestra or ballet dancers dancing together online. So this sort of thing has been so new to us. We've never seen this before, never, uh, until, you know, probably around, I would say maybe March, April, um, uh, uh, the last March or April, um, and and so many people are trying so hard to actually keep it going, you know, keep the energy going, keep the creativity going. And uh, it has been quite successful. So that's actually one way of at least uh, during COVID, COVID uh, people are actually able to come together wherever you are. It actually, suddenly, there are no barriers anymore. Um, we don't mm-hmm. have to think of, you know, uh, we have to send 100 people uh, over to Paris or something and, you know, work with the Paris Opera or, or Paris, you know, um, um, uh, the ballet or etc. Um, we can do it at home. So um, this is this is quite incredible, really. And uh, at that kind of connection is is uh, is phenomenal. Um, and because of that, I think people Got to know each other, you know that they would never have thought that there's someone, you know, miles and miles away would be performing with them together, mm-hmm. and and be able to see each other as well. Um, I think I, I think uh, uh, you know from from this period, even if we do get back to normal, I think um, there would there there's a lot of friendship that's been you know. Mm formed over this period. And, mm. and certainly, you know, there will be closer connections um, with people that you never thought about in, in countries who never thought of, of going. And I think after we do get back to normal, I, 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 I would think that uh, um, most of us would, would think of, of start, uh, you know, starting to visit each other and mm. really looking at physical collaborations that we've never thought of before. Um, and, um, okay. I, I think that's quite exciting, really. Yeah. Um, that's great.
1: Yeah, well, I agree with you. That's really, really interesting and
0: exciting. Thank you very yeah. much. Jude. No, that's great. And just, we're, 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 coming short on time, but just to wrap up Peter, just maybe in a 30 seconds or a minute, how, how, what, 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 could the West learn from the East or the East learn from the West? Do you think during this period, just, just sort of to, to wrap things up.
3: Yeah, for, for sure. So first of all, I think it is critical. The most important thing is that everything flows from human connection, everything. You know, so the creativity working together. And so everything that Jillian was saying cannot be emphasized enough. So that's one thing and fundamental thing. Um, uh, business models are, is another thing from the, the East to the West and West to the East. This gets into again, something that Jillian was talking about. It's an experimentation time. It's massive experimentation. And we have more time to be able to do that. We can be more efficient doing that. Um, I'll give you a couple examples of what that leads to. So because we cannot physically interact the way we could, artists are using live streaming, like what we're doing right now, to do the best they can. Jillian has spoken quite a bit about that. Um, so the most obvious thing, uh, I'll use musicians, is now they are doing this in not just a formal sense, there are, there are actual concerts that are being live streamed from venues with nobody in them with ticket prices that are charged. But then there's just somebody from their bedroom who's strumming a guitar and being able to have a more a closer, more authentic experience in a strange way, more authentic, mm-hmm. even though it's virtual. And then the, the super fan who loves that artist this is an amazing thing. They get a window on the world. I wanna mention one other thing before we, we break on this. So on live streaming, the most obvious thing is that people are charging a certain ticket price, okay? Here's an interesting thing from outside of this country and still in the West, in Europe, but you, there's a, a DJ whose name is Boris Brescia. He's one of the world renowned DJs. He's trying something just this weekend that I think is fascinating. Rather than charging, let's say, $10, $20 for a live stream, what he's doing is that he's having three live streams, three concerts in three time zones around the world. So each area of the globe gets a concert all on the same day, and he's only charging one euro for it, one euro. And so the the interest there is, okay, more people. Let's see how he does economically, but it's a great
0: Thanks, Peter. I'm going to have to stop us now because we've actually run out of time, but I just wanted to thank you both so much. It was a fascinating conversation and thank you. It was wonderful. Great. It was wonderful and uh can't wait